Chefs Without Restaurants, episode 105 with Ryan Peters. About a year and a half ago, two years ago, I learned about this crazy thing called TikTok. You have 2.1 million followers and like 47,000 followers on Instagram. My little brother and his girlfriend were out here visiting us uh, two years ago, and this is when TikTok was really starting to explode. So this is all they were talking about. And so I ended up downloading the app at that night. Um, didn't really post anything. And then a couple of weeks later, I put my first post out and I got like half a million views overnight. It's just the magic of TikTok. That's mm-hmm. like, that's why I love the platform so much because everybody, whether you have zero followers or 30 million, everybody has the same shot. I basically went really crazy on TikTok. I, I was posting, you know, multiple times a day, just uh, at this point now, creating content specifically for the platform um, and putting a lot of energy into it while at the same time working a 50 hour a week job as a chef in a restaurant. But I was able to build this like crazy, crazy brand and following, if you will, um, that, yeah, has, like you mentioned, has allowed me about three, four months ago to leave my job as a chef in a restaurant to be a content creator, whatever you want to call it, full time, which is just, it's crazy to me, but it's like, it's the best thing in the world. This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your host, Chris Spear. Each week, I'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. I'm your host, Chris Spear. On the show, I have conversations with culinary entrepreneurs and people in the food and beverage industry who took a different route. They're caterers, research chefs, personal chefs, cookbook authors, food truckers, farmers, cottage bakers, and all sorts of culinary renegades. I myself fall into the personal chef category as I started my own personal chef business, Perfect Little Bites, 11 years ago. And while I started working in kitchens in the early 90s, I've literally never worked in a restaurant. This week, my guest is Ryan Peters. Ryan's been cooking professionally for a number of years now, working in kitchens in both Florida and Pittsburgh. Most recently, he was working at Ironborn Pizza, focusing on their pasta program. You might know Ryan from his social media accounts, where he goes by the name Peters Pasta. As of today, he has more than 43,000 followers on Instagram and 2.2 million followers on TikTok. Ryan was able to recently leave his job to focus full-time on his social media content, as well as a line of pasta he hopes to launch in the future. We discuss his career path, going viral on TikTok, and pasta-making tips. Tune in to hear about his challenges, new opportunities, and his take on the haters. I ask Ryan about his favorite tools, where he finds inspiration, and what his favorite pasta shape is. Any guesses? I thought this was a really interesting episode. I've known about Ryan for quite a while. You know, I know him as a quote-unquote real chef. Um, In this day and age, I think a lot of people who create food content on the internet are not always considered real chefs. But I don't think that's the case. You know, we talk about why do we need to differentiate between restaurant chefs and internet chefs. And I think, you know, there's a lot of great points. And, you know, to see someone like Ryan who's gone to culinary school, worked in restaurants, um, knows what he's doing in the kitchen – you know, he just wanted to do something different. And the internet has been a great tool for so many people to be able to take the cooking out of a restaurant and doing a totally different thing. Ryan's been doing these series of 
making pasta everywhere. So he's going to a lot of sports stadiums. Uh, just the other day, I saw that he was with the Chicago Bulls making pasta out there. I mean, that's crazy. And I think it's kind of awesome. So for anyone who's maybe thinking about even doing this on the side or transitioning to doing this potentially full time, uh, listen to the episode. And, you know, Ryan's someone who interacts with his audience a lot. I'm sure if you had questions for him, he'd love to handle that. So I hope you like this episode. Uh, leave a comment on our social media if you have any comments, questions, feedback. I'd love to hear it. And as always, I hope you enjoy the show. And now a word from our sponsor, Savory Jobs. Are you shocked at what it costs to post a job ad? Instead, imagine a job site for restaurants only where you could post as many jobs as you wanted and it only cost 50 bucks. Not for each job you post, but for all the jobs you post for an entire year. Well, my sponsor, Savory Jobs, has made that a reality. They've launched a revolutionary, easy-to-use job site just for restaurants. And it only costs $50 for unlimited job posts for an entire year. Plus, for our loyal listeners, use the code SAVORY10 and get 10% off. That's S-A-V-O-R-Y-1-0. So go to SavoryJobs.com and discover the job site that's shaking up the restaurant industry. Forget the big corporate sites like Indeed and Monster. Join the revolution at SavoryJobs.com and remember to use code SAVORY10 for 10% off. And now, on with the show. Thanks so much and have a great week. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. I'm excited to talk to you about this. We've talked a little bit uh, the past couple months. Uh, You were in Clubhouse pretty hard when it started, and we've had a a good few pasta conversations and and other (laughs) food-related conversations, I think. Yeah, for sure. But I think we'll be able to dive deeper into some things and uh, have a good conversation, I think. Yeah. Well, I'd love to have you share a little bit about your culinary backstory. How did you get involved in food? Like, were you always a food lover? Did you, was it your passion when you were a kid? Yeah. It's one of those things that I've told people before, like, I don't have that memory of like sitting on the counter with my grandmother stirring sauce. Like I don't have that like crazy moment, but there's always been this spark inside of me to want to be a chef and want to be cooking. My mom likes to like, she still has the the photos of me drawing chefs in like second grade of that's like all I've ever wanted to do. So not really sure where it came from, but it's all I've ever really wanted. And kind of, you know, very early on started like dishwashing in restaurants and just getting into it and, and being around it and really was just passionate about it from a young age and, you know, never really had a plan B. So I was hoping that something in the food world would work out. And uh, yeah, it just kind of happened. Well, and you know, these days, there's so many more options of what you can do in food. You know, I've talked about that a lot. You know, when I went to culinary school, it was like, your plan was go out and then, you know, work in a restaurant, maybe like a hotel or a club. But you know, that's changed so much, especially this past decade. Yeah, I mean, that's for me, that's exactly, you know, I uh, after high school, I went to culinary school. I went to IUP Academy of Culinary Arts here in Pennsylvania. They have a small, like one year certificate program, which is what I wanted from culinary school. I wanted to just kind of get the basics and then get out into the industry and start learning. Um, so I went there and, you know, after graduating from there, the plan was like, I had this like very determined plan that like, I want to be a three Michelin star chef. Like I want this like super, super fine dining, like trajectory. And I was on that for a little while. But, you know, then just as you grow as a young cook and everything, you realize like, you know, what different priorities are and like, you know, not that, you know, some things, everybody has like a different path to take in this field. And I think that's the beauty of it is there is so many opportunities and so many different ways that you can, 
you know, still express your passion through cooking, but just maybe not in that traditional restaurant sense. What have you been doing these past couple of years? Like where have you been working and what's your position been? Yeah. So, I mean, to start, I mean, I, out of culinary school, I went to the ocean reef club in Key Largo, Florida, worked as an extern there for a season, um, really enjoyed it. Uh, but my wife, a girlfriend at the time was living in Pittsburgh. So after my externship ended there, I, you know, moved up here to Pittsburgh for the first time, uh, just to be closer to her and everything. And wasn't familiar with Pittsburgh at all. I, you know, never heard, never been here and looked up at the time, you know, hottest restaurants in the city, best restaurants in the city. And I found this restaurant called Salt of the Earth uh, from Kevin Sousa. And it was like the number one restaurant in the city at the time. So I applied there, got a job there as like the low man on the totem pole and uh, worked my way up there for about a year and a half um, to like the lead line cook position and learned a ton. But it was, you know, during that entire time there, it was crazy. Like I had built really, really solid relationships, even as an extern down in Florida that you know, it felt like every single week they were calling me, trying to get me back, which was a great feeling. But eventually, you know, that call came after about a year and a half at Salt. And I decided, hey, like my wife and I, we were like, man, we, we need a change of scenery. So we uh, packed things up and moved back there. Uh, and I took a like a lead banquet cook position down at Ocean Reef. But when I was there this time, I was very determined that you know, I wanted to be a sous chef. Like for whatever reason, at that time in my career, that was my goal. Like I wanted that was the next step for me was to get that management position and start learning that type of fundamentals. So, you know, when we arrived down there, I called for a meeting with their executive uh, chef committee or team or whatever, and said, Hey, this is kind of, this is what I want. What do I have to do to get there? What do you guys have to do to help me get there? And we kind of set a plan in place. And within like three months of being back down there, I was promoted to sous chef of like a, you know, 40, $50 million operation kitchen with now like 30, 40 cooks underneath me. And so it really allowed me the opportunity to see one really large quantity production, uh, but at a very, very high level uh, and at a very, very young age. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but I was surrounded by like much smarter people with people with tons of experience. So it really gave me the opportunity to grow uh, really fast into that management position. I think one of the important things there that you mentioned is that like you knew what you wanted and you asked for a plan because I don't think a lot of people do that. I think they just right. kind of, you know, you go in, you put your head down, you do a good job and, and people are going to come to you and they're going to notice and they'll, you know, promote you or whatever. But it sounds like you really grabbed the reins and said, this is where I want to be. What do I need to do? And I think that takes, you know, a, a certain something. Yeah, I've always kind of been like that. And I pride myself in that type of um, uh, drive and just desire to like go after things that I want. Something I've like tried to pass on to like younger cooks and everything like these positions, they're always there. They're, they're going to come, they're going to go. And like, just because you're working as a cook in a restaurant doesn't mean when a sous chef position comes available, you're up for it. Like make it known, like do the little things right. And make it known that like, you want more than what you're doing every day. Like still, you know, do a fantastic job as being the saute cook. But if they don't know that what you want, like there's no way they can help you get there. You know, it has to be a 50, 50, like relationship of, you know, you putting in the work with them. And I think that a good employer should be able to put in the work to help you achieve those goals. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but the, the number of times that I had someone who was a line cook working for me that I had no idea they had any desire to move up. 
it happened all the time. And then they'd say, can I be the sous chef? It's like, you haven't right. done any training to be the sous chef. Like I had no idea you wanted to be the sous chef. Like we will put you on a plan, you know? So there's yep. a little give and take there. I mean, and that's why I think, you know, I worked at places where you did reviews. So we, every six months you were having a review and you talked kind of about like growth plan, but I know that's not common in a traditional restaurant setting. Right. Right. But I think they're very important and I think they should be more common because sometimes I mean, and every cook and, and person in this industry is different. And some people don't have that type of like just willingness to go after things, but they still may have that deep inside them. So they need to like almost be approached about it, you know, which I think that's why those types of like reviews and stuff are fantastic because it can just create this dialogue between, you know, chefs and cooks that just usually isn't there. So what happened from there? So you're working there, then what? Yeah. So when I was working there, um, so like I said, I was there for about three and a half, four years and uh, while I was there, I was like deep into like, I was very, very, this is when I was like starting to get really, really passionate about cooking. And like, I already was, but like, I was really like just doing as much as I could on my off days going and staging at, you know, really fantastic restaurants. And I became involved with the mentor BKB, which is the, you know, foundation for team USA for the Boku store. And, you know, through them, I competed in the young chef competition in 2015. Uh, I competed again in 2019. I got a grant to go to the French laundry for a month uh, to stage there. And so it was just really trying to take advantage, not take advantage of, but just, I guess, take advantage of all the opportunities that are available. Like I was doing everything I could to like, I want to compete. I want to stage. I want to learn. I want to like, just soak up everything I can to really just gain as much knowledge and build as many relationships as I can, because if there's anything I've learned through, I mean, I'm still young, but through my short career so far is that like relationships are everything and who, you know, and these connections. So I was doing everything I could at that point to, to build those relationships and, um, just learn as much as I could. And it was fantastic. It was, you know, some of the best years of my life, just being able to, you know, cook and meet for these incredible, like world round chefs who I like, you know, looked up to as like gods in the industry. Right. And, here I am now like cooking for them and, you know, hanging out with them. And it was just, it was surreal, but it was fantastic. It was just uh, really, really incredible experiences I was able to have down there. Well, and when did you end up back in Pittsburgh? Yeah. So it was, I guess it would have been um, probably 2017 or 2018, probably 20, end of 2017, maybe ish. Um, so I was kind of, you know, I was kind of hitting my, my peak, if you will. So obviously there's always room to like keep growing with it. And, you know, within private clubs, there's, you know, there's pros and cons, just like any type of establishment. But I was kind of seeing the the plateau of my growth in the position that I was in. Obviously, I could move up to, you know, chef de cuisine, executive chef, all these things are possible. But I knew that I didn't want to be in that club environment long term. It was just, you know, another stepping stone in my career. So when I recognized that, my wife and I started looking at, all right, where are we going to go next? What do we want to do? We, you know, had fell in love with Chicago. We fell in love with all these different cities. And I thought I was going to still be on this like mission star track. Like I thought like, this is it. And then a friend of mine reached out to me and told me about this food hall in Pittsburgh uh, that was basically, you know, marketed as a restaurant incubator. Uh, they basically every 12 months rotate out four new restaurants, four new, you know, owners to basically step in, open up like a business, do all the, the, the right things as you would in a business, but there's really no startup fees. There's no build out. Everything's there. It's you have a shell of a, of a kitchen. 200 seat dining room. And it's just kind of like come in, test your concept, see if it works. So I was super intrigued by this. So I looked into it, uh, decided to apply, got selected to do a tasting. So I flew up to the tasting for the panel, 
uh, and was selected to open up a restaurant inside the food hall. So we decided to, to do that. And so we packed up from Florida and moved up to Pittsburgh and uh, opened up a restaurant. And it was, it was a crazy year. It was a lot of learning. Again, this is a very young age and I'm you know, now running a restaurant, owning a restaurant. And I'm like, not valuing the worth of a dollar, but like, it's now my money, right? So it's like, why are we going through two cases of paper towels this week? We went through one case last week and it's like, I was able to really see things. Cause like when I was at Ocean Reef, I was in charge of a lot of ordering and I'm just mindlessly like on a keyboard, right? Like pressing things and not even have to thinking about any budgets or anything. And at this point now it's my money. So it's like totally different perspective. And I just, I learned a lot. It was a really, really challenging year. Um, I literally worked 364 days out of 365. I mean, I was, it was bad. It was, you know, good and bad. Lots of great things to come out of it, but uh, just a really, really tough learning year of one, obviously too, like testing out my concept. My concept was like fine dining meets fast casual. Just, you know, that was the style I was trying to go after. So I was learning like, does this work? What am I doing with this? Trying out new things. But then also on the bigger level, learning how to run a business, how to properly manage people, um, just all these little nuances of of things that I had no idea how to do. I didn't realize that was your trajectory. You know, I think I became aware of you probably when you were working with Kevin, like way back when. I feel like you've been on my radar for ages. Um, yeah. I did come through Pittsburgh when you were open there, but it was like a day you were either closed or you weren't there or something. So I was sad I never got to check it out because I do remember when you were doing that and I thought it was so cool. I love Pittsburgh and it's one of my favorite places to kind of go for like a long weekend. You know, I'm about four hours away and I think it's such a great food city. Yeah, it really is. And it's still, I mean, I feel like for the past five years, everyone's still writing about it as like one of those like up and coming food cities. And it and it's, it still almost is. It's just like, there's so many incredibly talented people here doing vastly different things. And it's got that like um, small town feel in a big city. Like we all, everybody knows everybody. It's like, you don't feel like you're in a big metropolitan area. It's just, it feels just down home and like you're in a small town. So it's it's kind of you kind of have the best of both worlds. It's just it's a fantastic food city. So you left your job that you were at a couple months ago, right, to kind of start doing your own thing. Yeah, yeah. So I guess to say after I finished at the food hall, um, this is kind of when things started to take a turn towards pasta. Um, that's when I kind of decided, okay, you know, Michelin level stuff. That's not really the the, the path I want to go down, and. Um, I got a job as a sous chef at a, at a new restaurant that was opening here in town. And it was around that time that, you know, I, I was just ended up making a batch of pasta at home for my wife and I, and for whatever reason, that batch of pasta that night turned out fantastic. It was just really good. And so I made it the next night and then the next night, and I ended up going 64 days in a row. I've got little journals just full of notes and stuff. And I would basically, I was working like 12 hours a day in a restaurant. So I would work a 12 hour shift come home, make a pound of pasta, wake up, roll it out, go to work. And it was just this vicious cycle of learning the craft of pasta and trying to understand it. And I became really passionate about it. So it was at that moment that I kind of like, I felt like I found like my path, right? I feel like as young cooks, it's hard because you don't know, like there's so many different things that, and not that you need to have like a specific genre, if you will, but I know a lot of young cooks that look for that. They want to find their their lane in this industry. And it was then I found like, like, this is it. This is what I was meant to do in, in cooking. So I became really passionate about it. And yeah, to kind of fast forward a little bit, I guess I ended up 
was at that restaurant for a while. And then I moved to a buddy of mine. He has a pizza shop here in Pittsburgh, uh, Ironborn Pizza. And he was getting ready to open up his first uh, full service restaurant and wanted to add a pasta program. And he knew I was crazy about pasta. So we joined up and I built a pasta program for him there. And to be honest, when we teamed up, you know, he was under the understanding just as I was that it wasn't a long-term thing. Like he knew I had plans of my own. Obviously they've changed a lot, but uh, we knew that I wasn't going to be there long-term but I didn't think it was going to happen so fast. I know, as you know, a lot of people probably know. So basically about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I learned about this crazy thing called TikTok. You have 2.1 million followers. You are So yeah. by stats alone, you're like the most famous person I've had on this show. I've had some yeah. really well-known people. <laughs> and, and like 47,000 followers on Instagram. That's pretty yeah. insane. So how did that start? Like you just got on TikTok and started making pasta videos. Is that how it happened? Yeah, it, uh, it, it was crazy. I, my little brother and his girlfriend were out here visiting us, uh, two years ago. And this is when TikTok was really starting to explode. So this is all they were talking about. And so I ended up downloading the app at that night. Um, didn't really post anything. And then a couple of weeks later, I put my first post out and I got like half a million views overnight. And it was just like me. Wait, like, like on your first capital. post? First post. Yeah. How did that, I mean, was it like, was there hashtag magic? Was it just like the best post? Because that is in. No, it's just, it's just the magic of TikTok. That's mm-hmm. like, that's why I love the platform so much. Cause everybody, whether you have zero followers or 30 million, everybody has the same shot. So I posted that and I was like, man, that's cool. But I also thought like, I don't know why I thought this, but I was like, oh, that's a fluke. Like I just got lucky. Like I didn't like, you know, I, I wasn't used to that type of exposure or anything. So I didn't really look much into it and then uh, wasn't really posting much. And then a couple of weeks later, I started posting some more and I saw like a string of like four videos each hit like well over a million views. And I was like, man, this is, this is amazing. Like I had never seen anything like this on social media before. So that's when I decided like, okay, maybe I need to give this thing like a hard look. And so basically from December of 2019 to December of 2020, I basically went, really crazy on TikTok. I, I was posting, you know, multiple times a day, just uh, at this point now creating content specifically for the platform um, and putting a lot of energy into it while at the same time working a 50 hour a week job as a chef in a restaurant. But I was able to build this like crazy, crazy brand and following, if you will, um, that, yeah, has, like you mentioned, has allowed me about three, four months ago to leave my job as a chef in a restaurant to be a content creator, whatever you want to call it full time, which is just, it's crazy to me, but it's like, it's the best thing in the world. So how exhausting is that? The creating content? I mean, it's, it's very exhausting. I'm sure when you're working a job, but just still the creativity of now that's your focus, any surprises or challenges in the content creation space? I mean, it's tough. I mean, I, I was one of those people that before this was my job, I didn't think that being a content creator or anything was like an actual job. Like I was like, man, that's so easy. They've got the life. Like they're just, they haven't made, they just post things on Instagram or whatever. And it's just like, they're living now that I'm doing it. Like I see like, it is tough. Like there's so many more things that people don't realize. Like I'm just trying to be creative, trying like there's, it's so, it is a full time job. And that's why I knew I had to leave the restaurant because it was literally, I was juggling two full-time jobs and it wasn't sustainable. Like it was really, really toxic for a couple months there. Like I was killing myself. Like it was nuts. It was really hard. Um, and so I knew that like, I had to leave the restaurant to be able to give my all to this, which is what I wanted to do. But even now, like now that I'm doing this just solely full-time, it's still, it's, it's, 
if anything, I'm working more, you know, it's like, cause it doesn't turn off. It's like it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Like, I mean, I just, you never know when something's going to happen or when an opportunity is going to come up. And so it's just like, it's a lot of work. It's just a different type of stress and a different type of busy than, you know, and I'm working for myself now too. So it's, it makes it that much more, you know, fulfilling. So there was no real transition. I mean, so many people are side hustling and doing content for years on the side. And it seems like you didn't have as much of a transition period there. Yeah, no, it was fast. It was really, really fast. Um, you know, I'm thankful for it. Like, I get it. Like, it's, but it's also like, too, like when I created the TikTok account, and even when I started blowing up and I, you know, garnered like a couple hundred thousand followers, which is still insanely big, I didn't have expectations. Like, I did not think this was going to turn into this. I had like, I was just focused on, you know, working every day in the restaurant, like maybe opening up a pasta restaurant one day. Like I was like, oh, this is a cool little side thing. And then it like blew up to like millions. And it's like, all right, this needs to be like, I have something here that I'd be stupid to just throw it away, you know? So it was kind of a no brainer. Well, now I see these like making pasta anywhere kind of videos, things that you're doing, which are kind of fun and funny. How did that come from? Yeah. So that was an idea um, that I had about six months ago that I thought would be cool. And to be honest, it was, so I kicked off that series like a month or two ago and at its core, I, the idea was almost kind of selfish. Uh, Cause you know, I've been, you know, we've all been stuck in our homes for the past year or so. Um, and I was like, man, I want to travel. I want to see things. And I thought in the beginning it would be cool. Like, all right, I'll hit a few spots here in Pittsburgh. Maybe I'll go to like Philadelphia or something, somewhere close DC, you know, do something. But yeah, it's basically just, it's like spiraling out of control into this like crazy thing. But again, it's awesome. It's like incredible opportunities, like, you know, going to all these different cities and states and stadiums and just like being able to now like see the country and travel. Got um, football players and also drop, get like, dropping in there, helping out. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I mean, I'll give, I don't know when this is going to drop. So I don't know when people will see it, but I'm actually heading to Chicago on Monday and I'm filming with basically every single sports team in Chicago and doing like all kinds of crazy stuff. And so it's just really like, opportunities that I would never have working in a restaurant that I'm just, you know, trying to, uh, capitalize on these opportunities while I have them, you know, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, but it is a lot of work. And I, I think, you know, there's probably a lot of misconceptions. I mean, what do people who don't know you say, like, you know, about being quote unquote, an influencer or internet famous, you know, because myself even, you know, I, I sometimes go on TikTok and you see these people like cooking and because I don't know who they are, you're like, who's like Josh Weissman or whatever? Like, is this guy a chef? Like he's full of it. And then you're like, oh, he actually knows what he's doing. So I'm sure there's, you know, but I knew you. So I'm like, this guy's the real deal, but I'm I'm sure, you know, there's, there's gotta be some haters out there along with the lovers. Oh, there's a ton. I mean, there's a lot of people that I'll see it both from like, there's obviously like, just like the normal, like internet trolls that are just like, they're like, well, these kids are little bullies on TikTok sometimes. And like, those are whatever. Like, you just have to like, keep on going because it's not even worth your time. But then there are like, I see like, industry people like cooks and chefs that like, kind of look at me with this like bad view. Like, you're not a chef. Like, you just make videos for the internet. And it's like, cool. Like at this point now, like I've just accepted, like, if that's how you think, cool. Like, enjoy your job. Like, if that's what makes you happy, awesome. This is what makes me happy now. Like, this is how I make my living. And like, not that I need the um, the validation that like I was cooking in restaurants, but like I was, so it's like, I I don't, I don't understand why there needs to be this divide between like restaurant chefs and internet chefs. You know what I mean? It just, it's, it's stupid. And I think at the end of the day, um, more people cooking in restaurant or cooking in general is the goal. Right. So I think there's, 
there shouldn't be this divide, but of course there always will be. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see in a couple of years, like, does this influence people maybe wanting to be in food who wouldn't? I mean, when I was growing up, there wasn't even any food TV. I mean, like the food network had just kind of started, but you weren't seeing anything. And now all these, right. you know, really young kids are seeing people like you making food on the internet. That's gotta, you know, influence someone. Oh, I think a hundred percent. I mean, social media is so powerful and you've got all these kids on there. Like I'll, I'll see on TikTok, like 10, 12 year old kids that like in the kitchen, like just cooking and like, they're doing a fantastic job. And it's, I mean, they are, it's directly influenced through these, these food creators on these social platforms. So it's incredible to see. Who do you really want to work with? Like who are your dream collabs, either people or businesses? Oh man, that's, that's tough. Cause I've already hit a lot of them. Like working with the NFL, incredible, like was crazy. Like, especially like when I first started out as a content creator, I knew that if I was going to do this full time, I obviously had to make money doing it. So I would have to do brand deals and all these kinds of things that come along with it. And so I was like, in the beginning, I was like, okay, who do I work with? I'm a chef. I'm going to work with apron companies. I'm going to work with pot and pan knife. Like that's what made sense. And then I remember when the NFL first reached out, I was like, that was like this, like, whoa, light bulb moment. Like maybe I don't have to work with just these traditional food companies. Maybe I can work with anybody. Like why, why should I be, you know, put down this lane of only working with certain brands? Like I, I, I'm a creative, right? I'm a creator. This is what I do. I'm going to find a way to wear a Steelers jersey while I'm making pasta. And boom, there you go. That was like a very organic thing. So it's like, it's things like that, that like, I don't even know, because it's hard to say like what the dream collab is, because like nothing is off limits at this point. It's like, it's, I've now like seen that like things are so potential. And again, kind of going back to earlier when I said about like relationships and connections, like I'm like strategic every day of like, just trying to get to know people and getting to meet people. Cause like, People I know at the NFL probably know people at the NBA. And it's just like this, like this, like spider web of connections. And it's crazy how like connected everybody is. So it's taking every opportunity and running with it. No, that's, that's awesome. I mean, it it's always come down to networking and of course, um, you know, I think you sometimes have to be like a certain type of person. Like some people aren't necessarily comfortable networking and marketing themselves. And I think that's where you have some of those challenges. But, uh, you know, I think that comes with practice too. I don't think I was great at it and I definitely didn't love it when I was starting out, but I realized like, this is really going to be important. Like if I want to move my career along. Yeah. I mean, I, I still struggle with it every, not struggle with it, but it's like, like, it's awkward. Like, cause I'll just like, even now with this series I'm doing, I'm like cold calling people like hotels, cities, tourism ports, like all this stuff. And like, sometimes they just like scoff at me. Like I'm an idiot. Like, why would we want you? Like, it's like, but I'm like, all right, cool. Next. And it's like, you have to be uncomfortable, like comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, Cause it's like, it's sometimes weird, but like you call five places. If one of them says, okay, then like, all right, cool. There's other four that said, no, it's fine. They were worth it. So it's just, yeah, it's awkward, but it's part of like the process. It gets to be a numbers game. You know, I go through that with uh, sponsorships, you know, like right now I'm right where I'm pushing for who wants to be a sponsor and whether that's monetarily paying for ads or doing a collab. And it's the same thing. It's just a numbers game. There's going to be a certain percentage of yeses versus nos, and you're going to get more yeses if you ask more people. Exactly. Exactly. And at this point too, with both podcasts, with content, with all these media platforms, like I think we're seeing this big shift into where these advertising dollars and stuff are being prioritized. Like 
it's not television. It's not a newspaper ad. It's not like any of this. It's not a magazine ad. It's so people are on their phones 24 seven. So it's like, there's big money to come. So like, if you're, if you're a hustler, if you're like going out there and getting stuff, like you're going to find these opportunities. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk, uh, inspiration and pasta. So, you know, creativity, uh, you know, I'm sure you are always trying new things. Where are you finding, where are you finding inspiration as far as like it comes to pasta? A lot of it is, you know, through social, right? Like following people that I look up to and people that I, you know, admire their work, right? Other pasta makers. Honestly, that's like the majority of it. Uh, and then just honestly, like just being in the kitchen and, and playing around with things. It's as simple as that, you know? It's it's hard though sometimes too, because like as a content creator now, sometimes I don't have as much time. Like as like in the beginning, it was so much easier to just like, you know, be making pasta every day, trying new shapes. Now it's a little bit different, right? Because I'm so much busier and like I'm pulled in different directions and I'm not able as much to do it. If that makes like it's it's just different. It's like for me right now, it's uh putting the actual creativity of the craft on the back burner for a little bit to focus on the bigger opportunities right now. So that when I go back to that, it's leveraged even more. And like, it's just raised on a higher level, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess if you're doing content, not that you don't want your food to taste good, but there is some leeway there, right? It's not like you're making hundreds of portions of pasta and you're trying to tweak it and use a different artisanal flour because of the taste. Like you're probably doing more creativity type stuff where you're like getting spirulina and putting it into the dough. So you get a colorful pasta as opposed to kind of tweaking the the spices for flavor. Am I right? Exactly. No, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, I I'm creating visual content. So like that, I mean, that's just at the end, that's how it is. Like that's the, the fact of it. So you're exactly right. Well, I've done some photo shoots this, uh, you know, the past couple of months. I mean, I started blogging like 10 years ago, but finding that to take a good food photo, you don't necessarily cook it the way you would cook it for service. Right, exactly. I mean, I'm like finding myself now, like when I'm doing shoots and stuff like that, like I'm, I'm not thinking about it as a chef anymore. I'm thinking about it as a creator and like as someone who's going to photograph and, and video this stuff. So it's like, it's a different mindset of, of how things should look without, you know, obviously, uh, hurting the integrity of the actual dish or product, you know, as much as you can, but it's just a different mindset. Well, one of the questions I always like to ask are what are your favorite resources? And that could be culinary, like a cookbook or a website. It could be some app that you're using for creating content. It could be a piece of gear. What are some things that you really love? I'm going to cheat and you're not going to like this answer probably, but it's literally my phone, whether that be the internet browser, the social platforms, my contact list. Like I will just, I say cold call, but I'll just like call my friends or peers or just someone whose contact info I have and just like chat with them to like bounce ideas off them. Like it's so powerful. I don't think people understand the value of just like having those connections and utilizing them. Like it's so, so powerful. Like what we all have access to now. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's gotta be it. Well, and one of my recent hacks is like, I'm doing all this voice to text things, you know, and just like for speed of response, like, uh, if you want to start making a lot of contacts, like I'll just open up the email and then hit the, you know, mic thing and talk into my phone. 
And I can write the equivalent of like a five paragraph email in like 30 seconds, right. so, you know, volume there. The same for writing, whether it be the show notes for my podcast or writing an article for a magazine. Like I'm just doing all voice to text right now and then I clean it up afterwards. And it's just increased the volume of what I can put out. And um, when I tell people that people are still amazed, I'm like, yeah, you should totally be doing that because you can talk a lot faster than you can type or write. Right. And I think that kind of just is a a testament, if you will, to like, we're all just so busy. And I think time is so, so valuable. So like being able to save five minutes of not writing out show notes is like a super, super valuable time that you can allocate somewhere else. So like it's finding those little hacks and those things that just save us time to to better leverage it. So because things are moving so fast, do you have goals? I mean, I'm sure you have goals, but um, do you find that they're changing much faster than you can keep up with them? Um. Maybe they are. Um, I mean, the biggest thing for me is to basically get my pasta available to to buy retail. Um, I think that, you know, as a food content creator now, not every day is guaranteed. Like, I mean, I'm like working every day trying to like make sure, you know, I'm making a living and all these things. But I think it's extremely valuable for content creators to think about, okay, what if tomorrow TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, it's all gone. Now what? So that's why I think that like having like a tangible product that can be associated with your brand, but can also live totally by itself offline is so, so powerful. So that's what I'm working really hard on is basically just making my pasta available to the masses that it can be, you know, shake up the pasta aisle a little bit in all your grocery stores and just have this new face in there that is a product that yes, is mine, but it's also like offline, it's its own entity and uh, it can kind of just sustain long-term. So what's your favorite pasta shape? <laughs> uh, we definitely have these conversations. Judgment-free zone. Judgment free yeah, zone. yeah. It's definitely farfalle. Uh, it was one of the first shapes I learned how to make. And it's just, it's always been a special one. Uh, I think it's it's fantastic. It's fun to make too. Um, yeah, it's just, it's got to be the best. Do you have to make that one by hand or is there an extruder? Yeah, that shape? no, no, that one, that one's by hand, uh, which makes it fun. Cause like the different pinch points and everything, it's like, it's a great one to learn, but it's also, it's relatively easy to learn. Um, it's not too tricky. So it's, it's just a really good starter. I think. Did you learn making pasta from someone or were you kind of self-taught? Yeah, it was pretty much self-taught, you know, obviously like I learned the basics in culinary school, like everybody does, but a lot of it was just self-taught, you know, um, watching a ton of YouTube videos, learning from people, um, like through just asking questions, like understanding, like why you did this, you know, just sending a random Instagram DM to like a chef I look up to and say, Hey, do you mind sharing like the process for how you got this to happen or, or whatever. Um, and a lot of trial and error just really trying to understand it. Cause like pasta is this thing where it's, you know, at its core, it's so simple, you know, it can just be flour and water. It's craziest, simplest thing, but it's also so like complicated and complex and still requires a lot of finesse and technique to, to be done properly. So it's been just a big learning curve. Well, do you have any good tips for people looking to maybe start making pasta at home? Yeah. Um, I always just say, just like, stop talking about it and just do it. Cause everyone's always saying like, I want to try making pasta. Like, okay, cool. You probably have everything in your house right now. So go do it. Um, I always tell people, everybody like give it more time than you think it needs it. It, uh, it really, you need to knead the dough. Like nobody, like a lot of home cooks, when they try to make pasta for the first time, they need it for five minutes. And they're like, man, this isn't working out. Like, no, you gotta be patient. Trust the process. Uh, give it some time. 
And it, I mean, it's a workout, like you should feel it in your forearms. Like that's when you know you're done. Now, can you do that by machine? Like, can you use a dough hook and a kitchen aid or do you have to do it by hand? I, I know some of the yeah. extruders have like the built-in kneaders, but can you do it in the mixer? Yeah, no, people, definitely you can use a KitchenAid and all these even bigger ones for when you're doing really high volume. Um, it's not quite the same. Even when I'm doing like that, if I have to use a mixer, if I'm doing a ton of pasta, I'll always still finish it on the bench like by hand. But even in general, I like doing it by hand anyway. I just, I like, you know, being in there with my hands and just feeling it. Sometimes I regret it because it's definitely a lot more work than just flipping a switch, but um, it, it's the right way. It's the the classical way. Do you have any other things in the food world you're passionate about? Not really. I mean, this is, I mean, I still love like fine dining. Like I love that style of, of cooking and everything. And I think I always will. Like I cook like really like more higher end food at home just for like my wife and I all the time. Like it's, I still love it. Um, and there's a lot of like passions I love about like cooking. Like I love just like, I love making omelets. Like that's one of my favorite things to cook. It's like a classic French omelet, but it's like pasta is still the number one. And I just feel like that's like, it always will be, but that's what I like. Like people, a lot of times, like, especially like these younger kids on TikTok think like, all I know how to make is pasta. All I eat is pasta. And it's like, no, like one, I hardly eat pasta as much as you think. And two, like I can cook all kinds of stuff. It's just, this is what I, I tend to focus on. But like, sometimes I get bored with pasta to be quite honest. So I'll take a couple of days off from making it. And I'll just, I won't even think about pasta because you get like, I'm doing it every day. Like, yeah, it's you're it's no doubt you're going to get bored with it. What are you doing with all the pasta you make? Yeah, I give it away to to friends, family, neighbors, um, anybody, because uh, it, it's a ton, you know, especially like when I'm like, you know, I'll go out through ups and downs of like when I'm really like testing things and everything for like actual production for like whenever I start selling. So I'll be making like, you know, sometimes tons, like 20, 30 pounds a day. So yeah, I'll just like drop off like a half hotel pan of dried pasta to my neighbor, call somebody, just bring it to whoever so it doesn't go to waste. Man, I bet people love being your neighbor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whenever like new neighbors find out like that I'm the pasta guy, right? Like they just like they warm up to us real quick and uh, want to be our friends. Well, if you could stage for anyone just for a day, who would you want to go work with? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, you know, I don't know. So I've said this before to other people um, and I don't have a specific person, uh, but it would be to just go to I've never been to Italy and I just really want to go to Italy and just like spend a day or obviously much more than one day, but spend time just like learning from someone like, you know, everyone has that stereotypical, like 80 year old woman in Italy who just is making pasta every single day. And she's been doing it for 60 years. Right. And I just want to go spend time with, you know, someone like that, that, you know, doesn't speak English. Right. We just communicate through pasta and, you know, understand the real like culture and the history behind it. That That's like, that's bucket list for me. Hopefully it'll happen soon. Yeah, I've never been to Italy before. So I think even just eating there would be inspirational. But I, I can't imagine what it'd be like uh, hanging out in one of those kitchens with just one of those yeah. ladies just getting on the bench there, rolling it on. Right. Yeah, that would, it's, I mean, I can't, I've, I've seen, you know, obviously people I know that have done that and everything. And it's just, it looks unreal. And obviously the landscape of Italy and everything is beautiful as we all know. So it would just, uh, it would be incredible. And you just need to find the right sponsors who want to send you over there right. and start making your pasta, you know, in front of, you know, go, go in front of like Massimo Batura's place and be like <laughs> the pasta, like right out there on the street in front of his place. Yeah. 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 That would be uh it'd be a dream. Well, do you have anything you want to share with our listeners before we get out of here today? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think the biggest thing I would say, especially like 
to anyone who is, especially like in food, like in the industry in some capacity, and you have any desire to be on social media and all this stuff is try TikTok. Like I, I push TikTok on a lot of people just because obviously I've seen the success out of it, but I've seen tons of people with success, not even food creators, but just random people that I know that, you know, it, it changes their lives, changes their business, uh, creates new opportunities. Um, so I think it's just important to, whether it be on TikTok or any platform, just always document everything you do. And obviously through journals and notes and all that stuff is great, but use your phone, use your camera, take pictures, take videos and put it out there and see like, you never know what's going to happen if, if you put something out there and, and see what comes back. Um, I mean, it literally TikTok changed my life. So like, who knows what's possible? Yeah. I think video is hard. Like I'm even intimidated by video, like photography I've got down, but the whole thing of like putting yourself there talking and then the, the editing and splicing, like that's a whole different thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it is, it is very, very different. Um, and a lot of people have said that exact same sentiment to me that it's just like, it's a big change from just taking a photo of something um, where it is a little bit easier, but I think that it's worth the learn, you know, it's video content is it's the thing right now. And it's the future of, of social media, especially short form content. Like that's King right now, every single platform, if they don't have it, they're transitioning to it. So YouTube has it coming soon. Don't they, they? have it right I mean, now? It's already yeah. gone. Like I got an email two days ago saying, you know, have you tried, is it shorts? I think it is. Yeah. So I, I heard about shorts a couple months ago through, you know, other creators and stuff. And uh, one month ago I had 100 subscribers on YouTube, which I'm like, just starting out putting like taking some of my TikToks, put them on there. Uh, so one month ago I posted, I had like four videos up. I posted my fifth video. I think it was, it was a six second video of me with flour eggs, like on TikTok. I think it's at 9.9 million views and I had a hundred subscribers. So crazy. like, it's crazy. It's insane. So like short form content is king right now. Wow. And are you having to make separate content for TikTok versus like Reels? Because I know the whole thing is Reels didn't want you taking the watermark TikTok videos and putting them on there. They wanted you to create in apps. Are you doing that? Like creating two separate things for both platforms? Yeah. So I'll just like shoot all my content raw. Like I won't use it, like shoot on the actual apps and then I'll just be able to put it onto every single platform. So I don't have to worry about the watermarks or the back, you know, back channel stuff of everything. I can just have all the raw footage and then put it onto YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Triller, every, like everything. <laughs> I'm exhausted just listening to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, a, it's a lot to manage. Like, again, like people think like, Oh, this is easy. You got it made. You're just like, people see me traveling. And it's like, oh man, he must be living the life. But it's like, this is a lot of work. Like you don't just post and walk away. Like I have to engage with my community and do all these kinds of things. And it's like, it's a full-time job if you're going to do it right. Oh yeah. The same with podcasting. People say, how do you get your numbers up? It's like, you have to engage with your audience all the yeah. time. Like you have to be talking to people. You have to be on Instagram and Twitter and responding and commenting and liking and like tagging and DMing. And it's a lot. It's more it than is. I think uh, people realize. And you have to be down for that. And, and I think if you don't like it, then like, don't do it because you have to kind of enjoy it because it's a lot of work. You're going to spend so much time doing it that I think it should be something that you enjoy doing. Well, I think too, to that point, it's also just like with podcasts, I assume the same with content creation, you have to, you have to give it time. Like if you put out five podcast episodes and I put out five TikTok videos and they all are flops, 
you can't just like, you have to invest into it. Like it's nothing is like, it takes time to grow organically. Like you have to put in the work, be patient. (laughs) I got my first paid ad sponsor at episode 90 something of the podcast. That was like like, 90 something episodes of doing this for free every single week. I took one week off uh, since I started and, you know, it's a lot of work and to not make a single cent on it until like episode (laughs) 90 something. You know, but now you get one and then other people are like, oh, maybe that is worth exactly. like running an ad. So anyone listening to this who wants to sponsor the show, there's still spots for pre-roll and mid-roll. <laughs> Hit me up. There you go. That's it. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm so glad you took the time. And uh, I, I love sharing people's stories. So I think this is going to be inspirational for some people. And I think everyone should get out there and just kind of put their content out in the world. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And uh, it's it's been a blast for sure. Well, hopefully I'll come and uh, be able to meet up with you in Pittsburgh sometime. Yeah, please. I'd love to. Yeah. Anybody that comes to Pittsburgh, please. I'll always have pasta for you. And uh, I'd love to show you around the city. I know you love, you already love Pittsburgh and know Pittsburgh, but we can, we can have some fun. Yeah. Sounds great. Well, to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.